heard while Pam recently took a trip to Arizona for our grandson's uh, wedding. And so I spent, you know, five days alone at home, just, just nothing to do. You know, I'm sitting here. And our daughter, Tina, who many of you know has struggled for many years with a, a lot of issues with drug addiction, uh, was looking for a church in Missouri to go to. And she sent me a text that said, well, what about this guy? And it had Pastor John Lindell is his name. Uh, look it up. He's with uh, James River Church in Missouri. It's a mega church. And the Lord's been showing me, you know, I still have a lot of problems with mega churches. But having said that, there's nothing wrong with being mega as long as you're mega for the right reasons. If the pastor is in the pulpit preaching the truth, praise God, we want 10,000 people going to that church. What we don't want is 10, 20,000 people going to a church with a watered-down, friendly gospel that never preaches about sin, never is alert of the attacks that are going on, not only in the church but in our country. We need watchmen and prophetic messages for that. But anyway, he can preach it much better than I am. I've just taken bits and pieces of it because when I sat there and I, she, I, I pulled this guy up and said, oh, great, he's a mega church pastor, you know, okay. And I listened to a message and I'm like, whoa. And so I stumbled onto this message that he called it spiritual power and spiritual danger. Uh, mine's just I take some of the outline from that, which, like I said, is something I rarely do, but I was watching that all by myself in my home, missing my wife, and I had an experience with God like I haven't had in a long time. How long has it been since you had a touch from God like that? I want you to ask yourself that question. You see, the problem we get into is we top out. Being a Christian is a lot like being in school. And when you're in grade school, you graduate first grade, and then you go to second grade, and it's a totally different curriculum. It's, all, it's a new level. You and I should be going to new levels. And here's the whole problem with the church today is we top out on this level, and We've, we've conquered one or two of those levels. I've had about four or five in my life. I'm not talking about learning something new. I'm not talking about a little revelation you got. I'm talking about a new level where everything's different. Totally new. God touches you in a totally different way. Tells you totally different things. You haven't been this way before, son. You're going to have to consecrate yourself. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to do some things. But we get comfortable we get somewhat knowledgeable, and then we get comfortable. And perhaps that's probably the gravest sin of many churches like this, full of good people. And, you know, Pam was talking to some friends of ours saying, Terry's going to preach next week. Boy, he's got a really hard message, you know. And I got to thinking about that. And as I was praying, the Lord, I feel like the Lord showed me, son, there is no such thing as a hard message. If God said it, then do it. Can it be difficult? Yeah, crucifying the flesh can be tough. But a hard message? No. 
No, if God said it, that makes it right. You know, the Apostle John said in his First uh, John, what, 5, around in chapter 5, he said that this is how we know that we love God, that we obey his commandments and they're not burdensome. It's not a hassle. It's not difficult to obey God. And, and we've got to get a hold of this, people. We, we've got to get a hold of this. So what I want to talk to you today about is revival. I, I sat here and gave a prophetic warning two weeks ago at the end of pastor's message where I said that the candlestick has been removed from this church. Not only this church, but 90% of the churches in the world. The candlestick. Now, what does that mean? Now, that doesn't mean that we're lost and going to hell. <laughs> it's not, I want to clarify that. It means that the candlestick is a light for the community to see. That draws all people in because God is here. Not because we have an anointed pastor. Not because we have an anointed teacher or we have a good Sunday school program or we give out stuff. No, because God's here. And when God is here, he draws people in. When you meet Jesus, you don't want to leave his presence. And that's what this church is missing. That's what so many of our churches are missing. And I began to talk about some things and warnings about the way you and I conduct our lives. Because it affects the whole congregation. If you are out there and you have hidden sin in your life and you come to church and this is all fine and dandy and look, you may have us fooled. You may even have yourself fooled. How I many of you know we're good at fooling ourselves? But you don't have God fooled. And listen, having a son who was uh, strung out on heroin and had a horrible addiction and our, our daughter with horrible meth addictions praying our guts out for song. How many of you know when someone else is sinning and stumbling in your family that it affects everybody? And it's the same with the church family. We're a family. We are a family. And when there's one person that's hurting or, or, or secret has a double life or secret sin, hidden sin, and it is here in this church, then it affects the whole body. That's why it doesn't draw others in. It's a diseased and a damaged body, as Paul likes to put it, a little leaven. Leaven's the whole lump. And so I want to talk about revival today. We need revival in this church. We need revival in the body of Christ badly. The question is, do you want revival? That's a weak answer. Do you want revival? Now, I cannot guarantee you, if you'll listen to this message today and obey the words of God, I can't guarantee you that revival's going to break out in here, but I can guarantee you if you take it to heart, you'll have your own personal revival. And that's how revival starts. One soul at a time, one heart at a time, turning, going to the new level, turning, renewing their, their life, renewing their vows to God, and sticking with it. So, you know, we started out this year, Pastor's theme, how many of y'all remember? We just, better. Brother Dan remembers it, better. And then Brother John, I love the way he opened up his message a few weeks ago, you know. He said, everybody raise your hand as high as you can. You know, everybody raises their hand and he goes, now raise it higher. And we all went like that. 
I thought I told you to raise it as high as you can. We can always do better. We, there's always room for improvement. And y'all have heard me say many times that uh, we're all in this process of sanctification. When you and I got saved, we got sanctified. That's simply God set us apart, took us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of his love and his light. That's initial sanctification. But there's a practical side to sanctification that is ongoing for the rest of our lives, and that's the important part. Because once you're set out, once you've been sanctified by God initially, look, you're saved, you're going to heaven. Don't worry about hard messages, quit worrying about stuff. You're going to heaven, man, hallelujah. That's reason to rejoice. But now let's get down to the business of fine-tuning your life. That's what God's doing now. Uh, see, when he initially set me apart, I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I smoked cigarettes. I had a foul mouth. Those things went away pretty quick. The big, obvious stuff goes away real quick. If it doesn't, I question your conversion. But when you have a true experience with Jesus, those big things start falling away. But then it's the little things. That he, he's not done. Son, I'm not done with you yet. You've got years of anger built up in here. You, you, I had so much anger. And I mean, I was a scrapper. We fought and stuff. I was, I was in a band and played, traveled all over the United States. I was worshipped by people. I had pride issues. I had all these things that God had to knock out of me. And he has been and is still doing for 30 years now. That's what he's doing to you. But if y'all are old enough to remember the old UHF TV and you get to channel 25 and it doesn't quite come in, you have to tune that not, or the radio station doesn't, before the digital age, you get a little static, you had to kind of fine-tune that knob. That's what God's doing to us in this process of sanctification. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're being fine-tuned. So it's not a hard message. You're just being fine-tuned by God, and that means... Uh, like I said, probably the biggest sin in a church like this, other than, you know, <laughs> pornography or other hidden sins, is, is just that comfort level that we reach. Uh, it's especially hard for pastors and teachers who have been doing this for 30 years, 40 years in pastors, case and plus. It, the, it's hard. Every level gets more and more difficult, and it's, it's, it's more and more tempting to settle into this area where I'm at. Well, I've learned a lot over the years, and, but listen, that's a grave sin. We don't ever want to reach that place. And so what happens is God begins to put thorns in your nest, and you start getting uncomfortable. God wants to stretch your faith into new things, believing for bigger things, bigger problems to be uh, canceled and, and victory over bigger things. That's what God wants for all of us. I'm about done with my intro here. I've, I've got these prerequisites. I want you to get a hold of and understand before we get into the meat of, of Scripture here. I'm going to give you a little quote from Mario Morello's book, Vessels of Fire and Glory, which I highly recommend for anyone who's hungry to go to new levels. But he said that we're living in the age of the mega church and never before in history have we had churches uh, with 10, 20, 30,000 members and more yet it's on their watch that we've experienced greater moral decline in America than ever before so that tells you something 
Even though our churches are exploding with these huge crowds, they're not changing hearts. They're not changing communities. It's a watered-down gospel that's good for nothing. It's salt that's lost its flavor. And Jesus, as he said, it's good for nothing but to be just tossed down and trampled on underfoot by men. So as much as I disagree with Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous' approach, I do agree with this. In order to get over a problem, you have to admit first there's a problem. And if you and I cannot sit in this sanctuary right now and admit to ourselves there's a problem, I can do better. I can seek God more. I can pray more. I, I can, listen, Second Chronicles 7.14 is the key. It's not only the key to turn a nation around, it's the key to turn every church around, every heart around. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That's what we're going to be talking about today. You want revival? You can seek the face of God. Seek his face. Then he says, I'll hear from heaven. And I will answer their prayers and I'll heal their land. I'll heal their hearts. I'll heal their churches. I'll put the candlestick back in. If you'll just seek my face above all else. Let's go to our scripture in the book of Acts. We're talking about revival. Hallelujah. Father, we just ask you today to speak to our hearts. Father, we ask you to break down the walls of familiarity, to break down the walls of mediocre Christian living. Father, we bind up every hindering spirit, and we just thank you and loose forth your living word into hungry hearts today. Revive us, Lord. Revive us with the precious Holy Spirit. Revive us with cleansing fire. Revive us, Lord. Nothing else will do but you. Lord, I won't settle for anything else but seeking your face and knowing you more intimately. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Acts chapter 4. How many of you know the book of Acts is the perfect picture of revival? Don't we all want an Acts church? Signs and wonders, healings, provision for everyone who's hurting. Hallelujah. Well, here it is. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart. If we're going to have revival in here, we've got to have one heart. One heart, agreement. We've got to come into agreement with each other and understand that we may not agree theologically with everyone, but to have a critical spirit, a suspicious mind, I don't know about that, Brother Terry. Look, if you've got any kind of those issues, come up and talk to me, or pastor. A pastor said, come, man, communicate. Otherwise, it's hidden sin. Otherwise, you're hiding something down in your heart, and you're giving the devil ammunition to tear you to pieces and tear this church apart with division, suspicion, critical spirits, religious spirits, competitive spirits. We've got a lot of ministers in here. 
It's easy to get a spirit of competition and not even realize it. I, I remember hearing Brother Jonathan say something like, oh, I haven't been in the pulpit for, what was it, five months or something like that. It, it's hard. It's hard. You've got the word burning inside of you. Try seven to ten years. I mean, I get to preach every now and then, but God's had me on the shelf for ten years now. It's hard. But he's teach, I've learned more in this time being out of the ministry than I have when I was actually in the ministry pastoring churches. It's a wilderness is where we meet God. It's the wilderness is where we hear his voice. Very rarely do we hear his voice in a, a, an astounding way when everything's going right. It's in the tests and the trials. It's when you're on the shelf and nobody's recognized you anymore. Everybody's forgotten about you. And it's just you and God. But we've got to be of one mind, one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things that he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. Hmm. Keep going here. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Hallelujah. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. Well, I talk about all this in the book Living Stones, how a church ought to be and how we can obtain these places. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. And they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession... And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought to a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, let me give you the picture here. Joseph sells a plot of land and lays all the proceeds at the feet of the apostles. And they were so amazed at the generosity and the genuine love and encouragement in this man. They nicknamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So he has all this recognition from the apostles and all the church, and he's got all this recognition. And then comes along Ananias and his wife Sapphira, and they do the same thing, only they keep back part of it. And then they, they give it to the apostles for the big show. But it wasn't... See, they wanted the recognition... But they didn't want to do what Barnabas did. They wanted to take the easy way, the greedy way out and withhold some of it and make it look like we're real generous here. Look what we're doing too. We're, we're following the footsteps of, of Barnabas here. It's a spirit of competition. It's disrupting the oneness of this revival that's going on. Look, again, I'll say it again. We may not agree on every little tot and jittle and everything there is, but 
we can agree on one thing. We're all seeking the face of God. We can agree on that. I think everybody in here would like to know God more, better, closer with him. That's where we can find agreement. Find the common ground and go with that. Respect the leadership in the church and go with that. Anything else, don't let it build up in your heart. Don't, don't have secret things in your heart, secret suspicions, criticisms towards others because it's damaging the whole body. Just like they're trying to do here. So, that's, let's see here. You know, the Lord did show me this. Another problem in church is people are more moved by demonic oppression and demonic spirits than they are Holy Spirit. We, we, we have problems and we, we, we fear all this stuff. And that's just proving we have more faith in the negative of the devil's obstacles than we do the positive of God's power to deliver us. And we complain and we moan and groan and we have these secret thoughts in our mind and skepticism towards others in the church or jealousies and strife and we keep it to ourselves. That's being more controlled by demons than it is Holy Spirit. Verses 3 and 4. Acts 5, verses 3 and 4. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own to, with control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. Again, you might fool others. You might, he would have fooled Peter, but the Holy Spirit and the gifts were in such operation during this time. Holy Spirit told him, this man's lying to you. And so he fooled himself. He's deluded himself, but he's not deceiving God. He's not going to fool God, especially when God's building a church, planting a church, and revival's breaking out, and God is very near. Why has Satan filled your heart, Peter asked him. Don't let, don't let Satan fill your heart with these things. Guard your heart with all diligence because it's out of the heart that flow the issues of life, the issues of oneness, the issues of healing, the issues of togetherness and growth and revival. All of these things flow from the inward spirit, and we've got to protect those things. I've got a lot of scriptures here that I'm not going to go to, but if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 uh, talks about don't let the sun go down on your anger. The, there's all kinds of little things. pastor even preached a great message on this. Don't give place to the devil. Resist him. Don't, don't even leave a little crack open. See, that's our problem. We get soft on sin. We get soft on things, and we leave the door cracked open just a hair, and what happens? Satan comes barging in, knocks it down, knocks you over, and he's in your heart. And he's filling your heart with deceit and division and strife and jealousy, bitter envy, bitterness, 
If you, if you don't let the sun go down on your anger, why? Because if you, if you don't deal with it quickly, you'll, it'll develop into bitterness, and then a whole lot of people will be defiled. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 through uh, 21. Now, if we wanted to stay here for a couple of hours, we had to expound all these, but I'm, I'm just going to be nice to y'all. But that's the part where Paul's talking about the, the sexual sin in the church of a man sleeping with his stepmother. Remember, he says, there's sin among you that even the pagans don't do. And you're tolerating it. And that's where he says, don't you understand? You tolerate this, a little leaven's going to destroy this whole congregation. There'll be no anointing. There'll be nothing here. God won't be here. You'll be having church without God. Deal with it. Deal with it. We can't leave things undone. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. James 3, 13 through 16. I mean, that's so good. I might just have to read that one. Who is wise and has understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Listen, as a minister who's been on the shelf for 10 years, I had to deal with this. And the Lord had to show me, son, we all want big ministries. I'm sure pastor has a vision for big ministry, this place to be packed full. But we've got to be careful that we're not self-seeking, that we want recognition. And see, the problem is we convince ourselves that that's not it, that's not it. No, of course not. But see, we fool ourselves. This is why y'all have heard me. I hate to sound like a broken record, but this is why I keep telling y'all that please incorporate in your daily prayer, Lord, search me, try me, know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in here and lead me in the way everlasting because I can't see things that are buried. I can't tell you how many things I thought I was over pride, how many times I thought I was over the pride problem, and then the devil just, ink. Okay, Lord, I thought I was over it. We, we like to think the best of ourselves. And it's, look, you've got to ask God to pull it out of you, burn it out. I'll just learn to just, Lord, throw me in the oven and turn it up until it's all done. I understand that's going to be a painful process, but I've been going through it for so long. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Lord, fry me. You know, we, I've been in church one time where they had a whole Holy Spirit revival based on the fire. And I was so heartbroken because their whole opinion of fire, Lord, bring the fire down, Holy Spirit fire. And I'm like, you guys don't know what you're asking. You have no clue what you're asking. You think some kind of f flaming tongues of fire are going to sit here and dangle over your head and it's going to be all cool and you're going to speak in tongues and have a great time? No. When the fire of God falls, it's going to burn you. It's going to burn every impurity out of that flesh in a painful, horrible way that you thought you were good, you thought you were healed, but you weren't. It's got to go deep down in here and just turn up the fire. Are you willing to do that? It's not comfortable. It's not fun. It's not fun to even preach this stuff. But we've got to do it if we want to know God. Otherwise, we're going to get comfortable where we're at. And we're just going to stay here.
and then there'll be 20 people come and then 20 people leave and a new 10 people will come and a new 10 people will leave and it'll be the same church as usual I mean at the first year God showed me church as usual is not going to work and here we are all these months later doing church as usual it's hard to break through this stuff it's hard because you're dealing with people you're dealing with emotions you're dealing with mindsets and strongholds and people are finicky and, and they like to be comfortable they don't want to be pushed around and burned up and I don't but it's necessary if we want to grow Verse 5, then Ananias, hearing these words, he fell down and breathed his last. So God, great fear came upon all those who heard, uh, heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, yes, for so much. And then Peter said, how is it that you've agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out. And then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. This is New Testament, folks. This isn't Old Testament. Well, Brother Terry, that don't happen anymore. I mean, yeah, everyone who told a little lie, this church would be empty next week. So, aren't you glad God's merciful? But he hasn't changed. Why is it that we're not seeing people drop dead in the church today? Here's the answer. Here's the problem. Because God's not that close. He's, he's off in the distance because we've got our arms like this. You've got, you can have so much, Lord, but that's it. If God was close, we'd be having revival like this. We've gotten comfortable. And God in his love and in his mercy allows all of us good, saved, spirit-filled people to come in here and have church. But it's going to be limited because he's merciful. But let me tell you this prophetically. Jesus is drawing near to his church in these last days. And he's getting closer and closer to inspect his pure, spotless bride. And he's, he's ramping up his sanctifying and cleansing her with the washing of the water of the word and judgments that 1 Peter 4, 17 tells us. The time has come that judgment must begin here first in the house of God. And, and the letters to the, the churches in Revelation is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's standing in the midst of the golden lampstands, which are the churches, and he's making judgments. This is good. This is good. This is bad. Repent or I'll remove your candlestick. And so we've kept him at an arm's length. Go ahead and take the candlestick, Lord. 
I mean, we haven't said that, but that's really, in essence, what's going on. But now that it's come to our attention, do we really want revival? Because there's dangers that come with closeness of God. If you're writing down in your notes, write down Exodus 19, the whole chapter, but specifically verses 11 through 22. That's where God is speaking on the mountain. Remember, he comes down on the mount, and the whole mountain is shaking, and it's erupting. There's a cloud that's trembling, and lightnings and thunders, because God's drawing near to his people. And he wanted to talk to all the people. He wanted the people to hear his voice. And it shook, and it was so violent that it scared the living daylights out of every one of them. They said, Moses, you talk to God for us. We can't handle this. We can't handle it when God gets near. Because when God draws near, things start shaking and burning violently because we're full of sin. And, and also, if you're taking notes, Exodus 33, verses 18 through 23, remember? Moses said, I love you so much, Lord. I want to see you face to face. Show me your glory. God says, you can't see my glory. You die. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put you in the cleft of this rock, and I'll cause all my goodness to pass by you. And then when I lift my hand, you can see the backside of me. But you can't see me face to face because I love you too much and you'd die. Do we really want revival? Do we really want to see God's face? We've got to make that decision. And if it is yes, listen, you've got to get used to something as a Christian. God has, God's kind of like a, you, you ever been to the racetrack where they, they got those dogs and they're dangling that bones going around and they're chasing at that thing and they, they never can get it. That's what God's doing with us. He wants us to crave his presence so much, but we can never have it. We can ne- not on this side of eternity because we die. But he wants us to crave it with everything that's within us down here. Even though we know in our hearts we'll never really obtain that level, but we can't give up an inch we got to just run with everything we've got after it. That's what he wants. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hallelujah. Let's keep going right through these. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Hang on, let me just right there for a second, Beth. If we, if we just stay in this comfortable state, guess what? Your, your spiritual condition is going to get all these dislocated joints. Because you don't understand the chastening hand of God. Or you may not even be, uh, well, you don't understand it because we're not even seeking after him. I, I talk about this in my books so much. 90% of Christians don't understand the chastening of the Lord. They rebuke the demons. They rebuke Satan. When it's God 
Listen, Satan is on a very short leash. Satan can only do to you what God's allowed him to. I mean, God's up there. <laughs> Get him, boy. <laughs> no, come back here. No, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> come back here. That may sound wicked and mean to y'all, but listen, he's the tempter. That's his job, but he's on a very short leash. God's not going to allow the devil to rip your whole life apart. You might. If you don't get your act together, if you don't recognize what's going on and quit rebuking the devil when God's trying to turn up the fire and cleanse something, you've got to have wisdom and understanding to know when God's doing something and when he's not, when the devil's doing something and when he's not, and why is all this going on? What have I done to leave a door open? You've got to understand these things. It's time for us to grow up. Okay, let's keep going. Because we don't want things to be dislocated. Pursue peace with all people. And here's the big one. Holiness. Holiness. Be thou holy as the Lord is holy. I love what uh, Jesus said. Be thou therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I've heard so many theologians and, and teachers say, well, that doesn't mean perfect in the per yes it does he said just as your father's perfect there is a command to be perfect so run the race with diligence you'll never reach it but you better run that race it's a prime example of what God wants us to do you'll never be perfect but he wants us to run for it with our whole heart for the right reasons. We get our motives all messed up. We fall into legalism, Phariseeism. We look down our nose holier than thou at others. No. It's just because he's my father and I want to be like him. Hallelujah. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Let's go on to verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up, this is what I was talking about earlier, cause trouble and many become defiled. See, the hidden sins, bitterness, all those things affect all of us. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who, for one morsel of food, sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come... Here's, now, this is talking about that section in Exodus that I, I asked you to take, uh, take notes and write down, study later. Exodus 19 is what this is talking about. You, you've not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest. That's because we're in the age of grace now. But God, remember, he's the same. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of his words, so that heard, those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast even touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. 
Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, and there's a lot of shaking going on right now, let us have grace. This is what keeps us from being totally consumed right now, along with the fact that God's not that close. Well, I'm going to get into that a little more in a minute. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. So again, if we're in an age of grace, but God is at a distance because he is merciful and gracious to us. Because he is, he hasn't changed. God and sin cannot coexist. So there's going to be, as long as we're in this body, there's going to be a little separation between us and God. I just want to get as close as I possibly can. Because I want revival. I want revival here in Terry's heart. And I want revival here in the body of Christ so that we can be a a light to this community. Amen? Okay, let's see. Yeah, uh, Ananias. Just a little lie. Just a little lie. You know, I love that Peter was saying, you know, while, while that was your property, you were free to do what you, you didn't have to lie. You could have given me part of it and said, hey, we're going to give you a part of our proceeds. But no, he wanted recognition. He wanted to, he wanted to be known among the apostles. And he paid a severe price for it, right? Just a little lie. Just a little bitty sin. I guess it doesn't really matter that much if you don't care about revival. You still saved. You can still tell a little lie and go to heaven. If you don't care about the anointing, no big deal. Do we want the anointing? Do we want revival? then it's a big deal. A little bitty sin is a really big deal. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, and I had uh, Bev put this in the message. This is talking about communion. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spat on him, that's Jesus, at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance that you want to be part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. If you give no thought, or worse, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you even now are listless, sick, and others have even gone to an early grave. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now than face a fiery confrontation later. If we'll judge ourselves, we won't be judged. That's what the King James says. But... This is why, and it's again, well, brother, tell you that doesn't happen. Yeah, it does. This is all New Testament. It happens. This is why people are just listless. I love that word, listless. Have you ever talked to, hey, how you doing today? 
I don't know, I'm just not feeling too well. Test your heart. Have you been reverencing God? Have you come to a place of familiarity with God that's lost its reverence? Lost its holy awe? I mean, you know, with the grace, the abundant grace messages that are out there today, God's just your buddy. Just a good old buddy. No, he's God Almighty. He's a consuming fire, and you better respect him. He's not your buddy. He's your Savior. He is your life. Cling to him with everything that you've got. I just don't feel that good. Or some are sick, and some have even died prematurely. Why? Why? Lack of fear of God. I honestly believe if, if, if we were living in the book of Acts, like, when, look, what happened in the book of Acts when somebody was sick and they got healed? Even people far off in other nations would come all the way to Jerusalem and bring in their sick children because they knew God was there. The only reason why we have people... The church is so full of people popping pills for depression. It's not even funny. Taking all kinds of medications. Look, and I, I, please don't, don't put words in my mouth or say things about me that I'm not saying. I'm not saying I, I, I'm not for doctors and all that. I just personally trust God. I, I, don't, I don't go to doctors myself, but that's my choice. You guys do what you want to do. I'm just saying if we're having church and we're close to God, and God is, we trust God, we're living in the book of Acts, we're going to be healed. Amen. He is my insurance policy. I can't tell you how many tens and tens of thousands of dollars God has saved me on insurance policies. By just keeping me well. And I give him all the praise and glory because I'm nothing. I am nothing but an idiot he happened to call some long-haired, stupid, dropout hippie who just began to trust him at what he said. And he's never let me down. There's been a couple of times where I prayed and I didn't get healed as quickly as I wanted to, but I always got my healing. There's not one thing in here that says he's not going to heal you. Sometimes he might, sometimes he may not. It's not in here. If there's a problem there, it's in with Terry. If I'm not receiving from God, it's, it, it's, it's in here. I've left the door open somehow. I've, I'm in unbelief. I, 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 there's a billion things that it can be. But it's not God's. God gave his word. He gave his promise. And we'll, we'll get into this in a little bit if I just shut up. <laughs> I love you guys. When God is near, like he is here, sin is exposed and instantly judged and dealt with. You know, the Azusa Street revivals, people would drive by and God was so near in that meeting. People, more than once, called the fire department because they drove by the building and saw flames. And it was just the glory of God. 
people would walk by in the street and just start weeping and run into the church and repent of their sins because God was there. Do we want that? I'll never forget in 1993 when I got called into the ministry and God came into the room in a special way. So much so that Pam and I's faces were glowing like Moses. And I just, I felt so ashamed. I'm sitting here sticking needles in my arm, drinking booze. and He shows up and says, I love you, son. I love you just the way you are. Just the way you are. I didn't feel worthy at all, but he picked me up, he dusted me off, and he started cleaning me up. And I've just clinged to him ever since then. I just, I'm probably that pesty kid that's on his leg. He says, get off of there. So. But that's what happens when you get close to God. I talk about this in living in the Laodicean age a lot, coming face to face with his glory. It always gives you a feeling of unworthiness when God's near. But it doesn't last very long if you're not proud and puffed up. He extends his mercy and grace to you. And you say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. It's all through the scriptures. Daniel chapter 10, I was just reading. I've been reading Daniel a lot lately in Revelation. Then Daniel chapter 10, the angel of the Lord shows up. And he just falls on his face and he's, he's shaking. He's, he's lost all his strength. He can't even stand up. He can't even talk. And the, the angel of the Lord picks him up. and He says, here, I'll, I'll touch your lips. And he touches him so he can now he can, his strength returns to him and he can talk. That's what happens when God draws near. The flesh falls on his face. Isaiah, woe is me. Well, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. But God says, don't worry. I'm going to raise you up and make you a prophet. I want you to prophesy to my people. He extends his grace. Peter, casting his net out, realizes he's in the presence of God when his nets are breaking, full of fish after they had been fishing all night and caught nothing. And he turns, Lord, get away from me. I'm sent, man. <laughs> Peter, I'll make you fisher of men. I love you, son. That's what happens when God draws near. We realize that we fall short of his glory. A lot of us are sick and hurting, even gone home early. Because we just don't fear God. We don't understand when he draws near. We shut him out. We, you know, when God draws near to a lot of people and that, that feeling of filthiness comes on you, people get offended at that. I'm so glad I didn't. Let God do work on you. Judas was close and even had communion that night. He had com holy communion with Jesus himself. The whole time, 
in his heart, burning in his heart was, I'm going to deceive the master. I'm going to turn him in. And Jesus knew it. He even said, one of you among here is going to deceive me. And Peter nodded over to John and said, ask the master, who is it? And John says, master, who is it? And Jesus said, it's the one I'm fixing to dip bread in. I'll give it to him. He dipped the bread and he gave it to Judas. He said, now go and do what you got to do. Because Satan had filled his heart. Don't let Satan fill your heart with anything. I don't care how small it is. Because it can turn into this. And like Esau, Judas probably, he did. He sought repentance with prayer and and tears. But it was too late. Because he allowed Satan to come in there and just start building strongholds. And got to the point when God is so near and so close that sin had to be judged. We're coming to a time in history where that is where the church is going to come to. But do we really want revival? Let's go back to Acts and finish this out. I'm sorry, people. So, great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Wow. Great fear, and rightly so, huh? And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. They weren't competitive. They weren't hidden sins in their life, because if there was at this time, you were dead, because that's how close God was. No, they were all of one accord, seeking God's face. Yet none of the rest dared join him. <laughs> but the people esteemed them highly. I, that's, I want this to be that kind of a place where God is so present here and there's so many miracles going on. The people who are not willing to get right with God just steer clear. Say, I ain't going near that place because God's in there. Now, Pam and I have experienced this many times going just... Our presence going with people, taking the Holy Spirit with us, they get, they, they, they just tear into us. Like, are you judging me? I didn't even say anything. Just walked into the room. No, I'm not judging you. What are you talking about? Yeah. But that's what happens when, when God is near. And, 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 and just His presence makes you aware of your sin. There don't even have to be words. I love this, verse 14. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So that they brought the sick. Here, here's what I wanted to get to. They brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches. That at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Just the shadow of someone who's been in the presence of God. Healing people. And now here's, here's what I love. it. And also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And what? All healed. And you can find that in several. I can point that out. We don't have time. But there's several scriptures like that. 
every single one. Everyone who ever came to Jesus for healing and faith got, got healed. Everyone. He's never cast anyone away. Never, 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 never. We've got to get to the place. It, it's, that's this, what we call the sin of unbelief. Or, or it can be just rationale. Just human reasoning. That's sin. You'll reason yourself right out of a healing. Bitterness. A lot of people have been dumped on. A lot of people have been put on the back shelf. A lot of people have had horrible things happen to them. And you know what? Human wisdom tells you you really have a right to be offended and upset. But you don't. Because it's going to destroy your anointing. That's, that's the kind of wisdom that's demonic, as James said. We've got to get things right and understand the only limits on God are us because we simply are in unbelief and a lack of holy awe at his presence. Hallelujah. If I could bring Sheila up here for just a minute and we're going to close out. Listen, there's nothing mediocre or familiar about revival. Nothing. There's nothing familiar about God. His blessings are new every day, every morning. But do you really, really want revival? Yes, I do too, brother. Consecrate yourself then. Joshua 3, 5 is one of my favorite scriptures. When they're fixing the end of the promised land, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great things. Clean up your act, in other words. In Exodus, the scriptures we went over, God told even the priests, cleanse themselves, because when they come in to do their duties, they'll die if they don't. Cleanse yourselves, you sinners. Cleanse yourselves. Make it for the right reasons. Because otherwise it's just legalism. No one can make you want to know God deeper. No one can do that. I can't do it. God's not even going to do it. And I've heard people pray, you know, well, we pray, Lord, put this hunger in me. I don't believe God's going to do that. you got to hunger this thing on yourself. you got to do this. God's not going to force his will on you. We're not robots. If you're comfortable in the place where you're at now, then stay there. You're going to heaven. This isn't a hard message. You'll go to heaven. But you're going to make revival in this place a lot harder. At least put yourself in agreement with those of us who want to consecrate ourselves and go on. And say, you know what? I'm going to stay on this level, but I, I'm going to join with you all in prayer. Whatever it takes, man. But I, I pray that not one person... It's going to stay comfortable where you're at. I pray, my prayer for you, and you're going to hate me for it, is that God's going to put thorns in your nest. And every time you sit down, you're going to go, ow. It's just a little reminder of him saying, come here. Come know me. Come, come hug me. Let me be close to you. We as a church need to learn how to linger. 
the most powerful breakthroughs I've ever had in my entire life have kind of come unexpectedly in church after the preaching's done the music's being played and people are up here praying and I come up here and I don't feel nothing but I just wait and that's why it's, it's so important for people not to get up and shift around and if you gotta leave leave quietly now but have respect and holy awe for what God can do in this place. Because that's when I've been moved the most. If we can learn to linger, God's not in a hurry. God wants you to cry out. God, I've been lingering here for five minutes. I'm sorry, son. Make it ten. What's it going to take? An hour? Are we too busy to even linger here for an hour? Because it doesn't fit our schedule? Do we want revival or not? Do we want God to come into our hearts and move us to the next level and learn to linger and wait for God? Learn to approach Him with holy reverence and awe and tears of repentance. Something we don't see anymore. Some of you are dealing with sin in your life and you've done a good job. And God's just calling you higher. He's not condemning anybody. He's just saying, come up here. Come up hither to holy ground. And I'll show you things that you did not know. I'll show you things to come. Others... Maybe you have hidden sin in your life. I don't know. I, don't, I want to open up these altars. I didn't plan on doing a... a, a if you want personal prayer, I, I'd be glad to pray for you. But I just wanted to open up these altars and let you commune with God all on your own. or Right where you're at. You don't even have to come down here, but just in your seat. Pastor, if you could come down here if somebody does want prayer. But some of you may be dealing with hidden sin. Today's the day to repent. If you'll hear His voice. And I'm not talking about big sin necessarily. Any sin is small and minute as it is. Let's cleanse it today. Let's get it out. So that God can do a new thing in us. Let's confess it before the Lord. Lord, I've just been mediocre. I could have done better and I didn't. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. see if we suppress these things inside and we don't deal with them it's going to affect anointing it's going to affect revival we're living in an age of instant gratification and it's so easy to be soft on sin it's just a little lie oh I they didn't need to hear the truth there I lied for their good Whatever it is. As Sheila runs through this couple of verses, let's just all pray. Let's just ask the Lord to search us.
strip everything away till all I have is you undo the veils so all I see
presence I can't 